0: ne nama tsa dimo lui Moradi wa Albertina Mama le Joseph Mbutana Monroy ke le lekgolo go le hlaba botswana le hlaba go ka le le hlaba le isa gorong ha magohlwana magohlwane aitsa a ihalala a re gutla hape we eketsa motho wa weti
1: Welcome to the journey with Impa podcast A sacred
0: space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpa.
1: Aloha, JWM family. Welcome to 2020. (laughs) Are you guys excited about the new decade? We have had such a busy holiday season and it has been a little bit difficult keeping up with recording episodes and getting them out on time. We sincerely apologize for that. As you may have heard in the intro of the episode, we updated the intro, it sounds better, it sounds cleaner, and the only reason for that is we have a special guest in the studio today. (laughs) Are you guys ready? Coming to us by way of so Soweto, Pretoria, Midrand, um, former police officer, firefighter, policewoman. I mean, I know this guest more than anyone else ever will. Uh, in the studio today is my mother. <laughs> Hi, mommy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, <laughs> so dry
1: like yeah, I'm so she's the only person who doesn't understand how hyped up and crazy I always am she does this thing where she looks at me and she's like really could you have tried to be a little bit calmer in that situation I'm like come for what? come for who? <laughs> how are you mommy? I'm good thanks welcome to journey with <laughs> <Uncle>. <laughs> it's been yeah. a long time coming yeah Tell us about yourself. <laughs> Who are you? Where were you born?
0: You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually very nervous. Um, oh. Where do I start? Where were you born? <laughs> I was born in South Africa. Johannesburg, Soweto. Um, the third child. Um, from a family from of four. A family of four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah
1: and you had two parents, <laughs> and your mother had 11 siblings. <laughs> See, I'm filling in all the blanks. I'm like, okay, I know the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. From, um, what do I say? A good background, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, lots of challenges from the apartheid era mm-hmm. and, yeah, a lot of experiences and, yeah. yeah.
1: Hard-working parents, maybe hard-working mom, mostly mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about going to school during a bad bit. What was that like?
0: Um, not really fun. We had some moments, you know, there were difficult times, those are difficult times. There were times where um, there's, there were lots of riots. And, um,
1: Yeah, and your mom. I I remember you telling me a story once where I think you were six, you and your mother had gone into town, Mm -hmm. and then there was a Mm -hmm. police raid.
0: Yeah, I still have vivid moments of or memories of that incident where we were actually on our way home, and a police van stopped and requested my mom to produce her ID. Then it was called... um, uh, green book. Uh, yeah, green book. So she didn't have one. She forgot it at home. And they put her in the van and left me on the street standing, wondering, you know. And I was confused. I didn't know what to do. And the police were very brutal. They were not only picking her up, but a whole lot of other people were taking into the van. But eventually somebody came and said, um, you know, they cannot leave me there. And that's how she got... Released, but it was very traumatic and Mm. unexpected at that age, you know. It was um, something that um, was very, very um, frustrating to go through, Mm. but Mm. yeah. But those, there were a lot of other incidents that one had to go through, some of them some of the times would be in school and police would just come start shooting and we had to run around run away and mm-hmm. hide so yeah yeah not pleasant times never pleasant times mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and that's just 26 years
1: ago from you know the end of apartheid so South Africa is still a baby when it comes to dealing with issues of racism and getting a generation back to where it was supposed to be. Because it wasn't just about black people going to black schools, but it was also about not giving them opportunities to go to university, to get good jobs, and to Mm. be paid well. Mm. You know, you were always trained to be a house helper or a gardener. We were not
0: given the best of education, I'm sure. Mm. You can hear from how (laughs) I'm expressing myself or speaking at the moment that I didn't get the best of the best. I had to, you know, help myself in terms of learning how to speak and communicate in English. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a challenge. I didn't get um, tertiary education. Mm-hmm. I, From a background that I came from, I had to grow up very fast because I also lost my parents at a very young age and had to Look after my siblings, and my sister was also not um, fully able. able. She was disabled. Yeah, she yes. was disabled. So I had to look after her and my younger brother, and also take care of myself. And mm-hmm. in that process, I had to also, you know, meet up and deal with the issues of peer pressure and stuff. So mm-hmm. life was a bit rough, and, and one had to just remain positive and push to end up having, you know, coming out of whatever situation that you were facing at that time. So before we jump into what has been your exciting
1: career and life, let's start from the beginning. What was I like as a child? Was I naughty? Was I stubborn? I think I'm still stubborn. I'm
0: still very stubborn, actually. Um, I don't remember much Mpo, about the past. I think um, you're one of my best. You still are still, and <laughs> very easy to raise. Um, I had lots of fun. I remember every time going shopping or bring something very very beautiful and I still dress you to date so I think those were our fun moments shopping yeah shopping and um just being playful as you still are so we had lots of playful moments lots of um, spanked I was
1: spanked a lot (laughs) big beatings
0: yeah (laughs) that too putting Uh, this on record (laughs) Yeah, but you were very easy to raise and um, a happy child. I have lots of happy memories and yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were
1: a police officer a little bit after apartheid, so 1995 to yeah. 2000?
0: 2001, oh. early 2001, I left okay. and yeah.
1: So what was that like being one of the first few people to become law enforcement after apartheid?
0: Um, it was interesting because also the name changed from police force to police service. So we okay. were more giving service than using force. You okay. Know, most of the laws had changed at that time, so we were more um, negotiators than you know beating up people or having to um, use lots of force in terms of dealing with the situations or the issues that would be what we need to attend it to. Mm-hmm. But um, I think from the past people still had challenges believing that things had changed even though we came with a different um Um, way of doing things, you know, Mm -hmm. they didn't believe in us, there was still a lot of anger and frustration and we were still treated pretty much the same as the police force, even Mm -hmm. though we were not trained in that manner, you Mm -hmm. know, to address issues as the previous Mm -hmm. um, police would so, mm-hmm. yeah, we had a lot of challenges in terms of also addressing um, crime and dealing with issues generally mm-hmm. because of how people perceived police or how, you know, we, we, we were supposed to be dealing with stuff. I think today people are still not having trust in, in the system. Mm-hmm. A lot has happened. Black people has been through a lot and they mm-hmm. feel like... Regardless of what the the system is trying to do, it's not helping them in any way. Mm.
1: Because the system previously was responsible for oppressing people, Mm. you know, so that trust has to be gained in some way. And the South African government may be doing their best, but they're not there yet when it comes to bringing in the trust from the people. We've had a lot of government corruption, Mm. you know, it's like my grandmother always says it was better when I was being robbed by a white man mm-hmm. because now I'm being robbed by my brothers and sisters.
0: Yeah. We, we, you look... you um, For instance, I'll make an example of um, our brothers from other com- com- African countries coming mm-hmm. into South Africa and being treated as, as um, you know, shitty. Yeah, xenophobia <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, the police also have a vital role in terms of how those guys are treated because mm-hmm. they have the, the means and ways to protect them but they're not doing any mm-hmm. anything to do and, and it, we, we also have a lot of white migrants coming into the country that you would not even know
1: mm-hmm. that they are
0: in the country mm-hmm. however yeah. when you are black and coming from an African country you are expected to carry your passports and Mm-hmm. You know, taken for granted of being treated as, as an, you know, a criminal regardless mm-hmm. of what you do in the country. So mm-hmm. black, there's still black on black pressure from mm-hmm. the police, from other black people. So there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be addressed from that point to mm-hmm. make other black brothers or other black people in even South Africans to feel safe and trust, have trust in the police system. Mm-hmm. So,
1: okay. So you move from being a police officer to being a firefighter.
0: Mm-hmm. That's job number two, where you see dead bodies. Yeah, when I started as the police, I was excited. I was young. I think I was twenty one. I was earning about 850 a month, that it's was like before $80 yeah, or less, so um, I was technically a breadwinner then because my mother had just stopped working because of her condition, you know. Dementia. Yes, and she, my dad passed on in 1992. So I had a disabled sister and a brother who was around 16 at the time who was still in school and I had to take care of. So that money was not enough to take care of the family and I decided maybe I need to move from that job and find another one. And when I moved to being a firefighter, it was actually more like um, growth in terms of salary because then I... Was earning around, um, I think, four thousand a month, mm-hmm. but that was um, a lot of money for me from having and uh, seven hundred after tax to six thousand plus a month. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought it was a good move, and ha- at least I was able to do more with what I had at mm-hmm. the time. Um, you were also driving ambulances. Yeah, as I a was actually appointed as a firefighter and a paramedic. You had to do both because. Um, most of the time, we stand by. standby. If we had um, fire, you'd come out as a firefighter, you were trained as one, so you'd respond as a firefighter, and when you, there's a um, lack of paramedics, then you also take that position and assist where you can. So I did both trainings and was able to do both <laughs> at that time. What would you say was the most difficult thing about that job? I used to see a lot of dead bodies you know at times I couldn't sleep at night I remember most of the time I would sleep with my lights on I couldn't sleep well in the dark and mm. my last straw was um, a call after my mum had passed on and having gone back to work I attended to a family and when I got there um, I found that um, a woman, almost the same age as my mom, had passed on in the house, and the family was in tears. And I couldn't handle it. I broke down instead of being able to assist and, you know, giving comfort to the family. I <laughs> I was on the verge of, you know, I I got a complete blackout, and I probably think the family thought <clears throat> there was something wrong, however um, it, I, 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 I think I had not um, you know I was not aware that the, the, the pain and the, the, the loss of my mum the impact that I, it had gotten to me, so Mm-hmm. the response thereof made me realize that I'm not yet ready, you know, I'm not in a space where I can be able to assist others. I need to go out of that environment to be probably help myself, heal myself, you know, mm-hmm. look at... Uh, or, you know, I... I, I <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, I was just... Um, the short, completely, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't bear looking at that woman passing off op- I mean having passed on and me being the a very a dead, at that very same yeah time of your grief. Yeah. yeah. So at around that time I thought to myself, maybe I need to call it the day. I actually asked to take time off. And fortunately I was given I'm about three hours, I mean three months off mm-hmm. and during that process I couldn't even drive. I remember at times I would be on the freeway driving to wherever. But I would constantly get blackouts, park on the side of the road and break down, start crying, lose my mind, then battle to get home or struggle to get home. So I I, I was like, I don't think I'm in a space where I can handle dead bodies anymore, you know, Mm -hmm. and eventually I started searching for alternative jobs and ended up <laughs> finding one but <laughs> I think it was actually one of the worst ones also <laughs> you know because it was in in a in- security environment but um, metro rail where we also dealing with um, hit, by trains. hit by train incidents and mm. would see a lot of dead bodies as well and spend a lot of time at work because I remember it during that time I would work long hours leave the kids at home alone with no one care, taking care of them I'd sleep on the floor yeah. in the office while you do night mm-hmm. shift <laughs> so it was also another hectic one but I had to do what I had to do mm-hmm. Uh Material had what they
1: call train surfing. Mm. What was it?
0: Um, a <laughs> simple, simple explanation would be: one would wait for a train to move. While the train is in motion, then the guy will start running and try get into the train while it's in motion. But they'll wait for. for it to be on a certain speed limit and when it gets to that limit they will jump into a train while it's in high speed which was very risky because a lot of people would get electrocuted yeah, or go under the train or get their feet cut off and you know a whole lot of bad stuff used to happen but mm-hmm. funny people used to look forward to doing it, particularly school school kids would mm. <laughs> wait for the train to start moving then. So basically that's what we'd be doing on the platforms to ensure safety of um commuters and making sure that people are not doing what they shouldn't shouldn't be doing, you mm-hmm. know, on the railway lines. And yeah. Yeah.
1: I think every um Law enforcement and security-related job in South Africa is very intense. Like, you mm-hmm. have to apply yourself. Like, I look at security in Hawaii, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Can mm-hmm. you can you handle a gun? Can you handle six guys coming in, picking um, up an ATM? We and
0: actually <laughs> had an incident in while we were doing patrols inside the trains where mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually had um, a tip-off that there were guys... Um, terrorizing commuters in the train. So we decided to take that last train to Mamilodi. It was about eight of my colleagues, myself, and we went into the train with no firearm, with um, just us. So as the train approached Mamilodi station, these two guys came in with a firearm and ordered everyone to go under the seats we all went down commuters ourselves and they started searching everyone taking cell phones taking watches taking jewelry and we were just there having no help and you know disappointed ourselves that the intention was to stop crime happening inside the trains but instead we were actually also you know exposed to it And as we were trying to plan on what to do next, these guys were done, the doors opened while the train was in full speed, and they jumped out, and we left there in shock. (laughs) And, yeah, Yeah. you know. It's like living on the verge. Like
1: my um, one therapist said, you know, it sounds like South Africans have PTSD, all of them. But it's that whole thing that you could be in a place and you just never know what could happen, mm-hmm. you know. It, mm-hmm. it, it's like living in the mm-hmm. wild, living on the verge. Like any day could be the day yeah. where you're the one in a hijacking, in a kidnapping, in a armed robbery, yeah.
0: <laughs> you it, know. would usually have more than a thousand incidents reported per week of people being killed, of people being robbed, of people being... Eventually, um, Metro Rail introduced um, SAPS, which is our South African Police Service. Um, things got better, however, the challenges are still there. You mm-hmm. know, to date, people are still getting murdered or robbed and taken advantage of inside the trains.
1: Mm. At an alarming rate, you know, mm-hmm. not just inside the trains, everywhere, but. Mm-hmm. There is still, you know, when I say I miss home, there's still some beauty. I think South Africans have a lot of fun and they overlook a lot of the negativity that's ongoing. So there Mm. are people intentional on celebrating the good parts, like the group I'm staying, you know. And that is in celebration of all the people who have chosen to stay in South Africa, regardless of South Africa's Mm. issues, to try and make it better.
0: Yeah, there's also a lot of help, you know. Mm -hmm. We, we, more like a family, we raise our children Mm -hmm. as a community, you know. We contribute towards Mm -hmm. kids' education, we provide to... The needy, yeah. you know, we 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 go the extra mile in terms of making sure that things goes accordingly. As women, we also formed um a lot of um platforms where there's a lot of help in terms of abuse, in terms of um mm-hmm. uh, poverty, you know, domestic so, violence, yeah. yeah. So there's still a lot of positivity. I think. The only challenge in the country currently is just crime. However, other things, we as as South Africans, you know, have formed, we're able to form platforms where we assist and and take care and Mm. go the extra mile where we need to Mm. and overlook, you know, issues of apartheid, issues of um, black-on-black violence or, you know, try and help also in, in the lines of where those issues come up, you know, mm. to build and make sure that as a country we move forward with all the challenges that we have. Mm.
1: It's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, what I was thinking about is the fact that we are talking to probably one of the most generous women you will ever meet. Like growing up in my mother's household meant sharing, no matter what, you know, there were always other kids, cousins, people who, my mom felt strongly that we needed to help, needed to be there for, you know, and at the time, I think, when I was younger, I always used to sit back and go, we are so rich, like, yes, we don't have a lot of money, but if all these people weren't in this house, I would have been living a very good life.
0: I mean, I grew up in a family where my mother would take, kids from the streets that we barely knew and live with us as one big family, Mm -hmm. you know and she would not even entertain the the, the fact that we are uncomfortable living with those people, she would um, take stuff literally at home we had one of everything, when I mean one I mean bedding, curtains plates, we had enough for the family, my mom was a kind of person who Would take stuff if she buys something, she would give out the other. As Mm -hmm. long as something is not used Mm -hmm. in the house, she will take it and give it out. After church, people would come at home, she would cook lunch, would feed people that we barely knew. You know, people would come home and knew that they would be taken care of. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in that family where. Um, you know caring for one another was priority and to date that has been part of me to a point where I go the extra mile regardless you know mm-hmm. I don't look at how much I have or, or how much it's going to take me to, to go the extra mile I just do it and, and trust that the universe will provide so I believe for us or for me to, Grow financially or to have access in anything I need to share what I have first for, for me to have to be able to receive more mm-hmm. so
1: good spirit now that I'm a lot older I understand it and maybe appreciate it and try and help where I can in ways that I you know can help but very good spirit my grandmother i remember my mom would tell me you know she'd call everyone from the church lay out all their favorite clothing and say pick take whatever you want and i'm like what
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and you you would not even complain you get a beating for you know being greedy or wanting not to share what you have with others so as I say, it's it's being part of me because that used to happen when I was nine, ten years, and for for as long as I remember, that's how we, you know, lived. And yeah. Mm. Yeah. so, from it seems like
1: from the past three years up to now, there's been a little bit of a shift from us as a family being and not just you know, I'm not talking about extended family, mostly immediate family, and maybe just you, I, and Aquila, being Christian to being more and more into meditation and Buddhism beliefs and, um, you know, trying to find a different way to approach morality and, you know... (coughs)
0: I didn't want to talk about that, but yeah, I think um, my gospel is the truth, you know, um, I speak the truth, I, I spread love, unconditional love, I believe in, 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 in deep healing and self, deep, deep, deep self-love. And I think with the transition that I've made from Christianity to uh, consciousness, I was able to find peace, happiness, a lot of healing, deep, deep, deep healing. And I'm at a place where nothing else matters. I've learned that with loving myself, with taking care of myself, I'll be able to do more for others because I'm giving from a place of love. As I heal, I heal others. As I love or as I, you know, focus on on whatever that has to do with consciousness, then I'm doing it from a place where it's very, very peaceful and and, and pleasant. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself... I'm probably responsible for healing my, kil- my children mm-hmm. and for me to be able to do that, I needed to heal myself, for me to be able to love them unconditionally, I, was, I had to realize that I needed to love myself first, mm-hmm. so currently I'm probably halfway through healing and I'm able to, you know, look back and be grateful of the journey and the progress that I've made in terms of that. Mm. So, yeah. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it's been quite a journey, you know. It's something that I had to learn. Fortunately for me, I was introduced to a conscious group and that's where I was able to learn how to meditate and about consciousness as a whole um, and <laughs> you know that group is actually based in Saint where I live but um, I probably will tell you a story we had a house in Midrand that I decided to sell for whatever reason, and ended up having to look for a rent, a rental place, and moved with the kids. And I lived in a house in Midrand for about seven years while renting, trying to put um, my life together financially. And I think I was too comfortable living in that space until the owner decided I need to move I remember it was about the 10th of the month in 2015 May when I was given a letter to vacate she didn't give me a full month notice, she just gave me 15 days notice to vacate I felt like my world is falling apart I was miserable we moved out with the kids moved into a area in Centurion, more like an informal settlement area, Mm -hmm. lived with the kids there for about eight months, very frustrated, unhappy and blaming myself for having sold my house in Midrand and very, you know, miserable. So during that time I would go for show houses every Sunday, it became a norm, would drive out, look for houses, I would sign offers and the banks would decline based on the fact that I couldn't afford or I didn't have a deposit. So eventually I gave up and decided maybe let me start from zero and start saving money. <coughs> As we went along one evening was out again, searching, went into this house where we currently live, looked, and I think it was about two or three weeks before Paul moved to the U.S., signed the offer, and voila, the banks approved, Mm -hmm. you know, we were excited and moved into that space. Um when we went for viewing i could feel the energy in that house i didn't understand energy then but there was something about the house something said to me i should speak to the owners about you know the kind of religion they are in or whatever that they were doing at the time in terms of their beliefs and fortunately for me the guy opened up and that's how i got introduced to consciousness because they were very big into meditation and consciousness and he invited me to the meditation sessions which used to happen on a saturday basis in in and around saint Churon. and I went and I started enjoying meditation, even though I didn't know what it was all about. I just thought to myself, I want to do it and try it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that was the best decision I've ever made. However, the point that I was trying to make is that the universe will always push you to a direction that it needs you to go to. At the time when I sold my house in Midrand and moved to a place where I rented and ended up in an informal settlement, I didn't understand what was going on. I thought my life was falling apart. However, now where I'm sitting, I realized that it was actually a plan for me. The universe had a plan for me to end up, to end up where I am today in terms of consciousness, in terms of the, the learnings that I've had, in terms of the exposure that I had. Because I still think what I've gotten from having met the people that I bought their house wouldn't there's no amount of money, there's no amount of, you know, gratitude I can show to them because Mpo knows I was a very, very angry person. There were times I, I would break stuff or get very, very angry to a point where I would lose myself in the anger but i'm at the state where i'm very calm i'm very peaceful i'm very accepting i'm very understanding i love myself more than then i'm more you know um mm. at peace and i live in the now i'm appreciative i have a lot of gratitude and i'm just grateful mm-hmm. and happy to be alive and happy with the journey that i'm in and
1: yeah Yeah, and oh man what a journey it has been like from early parenthood to losing your parents at a young age becoming the responsible one for everyone mm. and then from seeing the highs and lows of our financial you know upkeep and you know downkeep yeah it's, it's been a, a journey and a half You know, but it's a journey that I think my mom and I are both very grateful for to Mm. have experienced and to continue to experience because we understand that the journey is ever changing, you know, that that nothing's permanent, that things will keep gradually changing. Mm. And it is our hope that maybe we'll grow to be better people, you know, a better daughter, a better mother And then futuristically, better grandparent, better mother me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. So the journey continues and it's what you make of it. It's how you look at things that makes all the difference. You know, you have one job that isn't paying you very well. You're not a tree. Mm -hmm. Move. Get the job that you deserve. Be audacious and courageous enough to go get the things that you want to get. You know, that's the one trait I learned from my mother that yeah sure life is hard life is going to punch me in the face life is going to kick me in the stomach but I'm going to keep kicking back just as harder I'm going to keep getting up just as mm-hmm. harder I'm not going to stop I may cry a little bit but it's only for like 10 minutes crying and then we kick ass <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's hard you've yeah. got to be tenacious like if you lay there and say oh my life is over then your life's over mm-hmm. you've declared it and you've done it for yourself it's over but if you say, nope, it's not done, I still have the willpower and the courage, then nobody's going to stop you.
0: Yeah, I, I'm at the point where, as I said, I live, I'm, I'm in the now, you mm-hmm. know, and I close that chapter when I go to bed, I make peace with what I couldn't achieve for that day mm-hmm. and look forward for tomorrow. I forgive myself so that I can be able to forgive others. Mm-hmm. I have lots of respect. I don't take anything for granted mm-hmm. um, you know it's just um, the every day becomes better you know mm-hmm. every day I look forward to improving myself and doing better and and it's, it's, it's encouraging you it know
1: is. yeah it really is. So we are about to come to the end of our show. My mom always talks so much guys, like I'm on the phone with her every morning, one hour, every evening, one hour. All the time, guys. Just a couple of fun, interesting questions for my mother at this point in her life. How many languages do you speak? Counting. I think about six,
0: <laughs> but I understand we've got eleven, twelve languages, eleven, 11 languages. Mm-hmm. I understand most of the languages even though I cannot speak all of them. However, I, I speak, I think, Sessoto, uh, Sepedi, Sessouana, Sessoulo, Sikosa, a bit of Shangan, you know, a bit of Venda, Africans, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Yeah. What is your favorite meal?
1: What do you like to eat? Oh, pap- le <laughs> <laughs> Chicken feet <laughs> with pap or stump. Yeah. That is my husband's worst nightmare. Like, he was like, what? The nails are
0: still attached to the feet. <laughs> How do you eat this? Yeah, but currently I eat a lot of soup because I'm, I've moved from... Meat to, to vegetarian. To, to vegetarian, yeah. I battle here and there. However, that soup is currently my favorite Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. make lots, and lots, lots of soup at home. What do you like doing for fun?
1: Yeah. Do you fun. still like
0: shopping? <laughs> A little bit of shopping, you know. I learned I've learned that um, I'm not to possess. Okay. I used to love buying stuff that I didn't even need. Mm-hmm. So, currently, I only buy what I need, mm-hmm. and just. I don't possess anything. If I lose something, fine. If I have it, fine. I. Detach. Yeah, I've detached a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, I think what I enjoy, what I can, I think I can do my entire day is meditation. I like sitting in my quiet space and, yeah, just reflecting self-educating and yeah meditation yeah
1: if you were to teach the the JWM (coughs) family one thing like what would you want them to know your one message to them what would it be
0: Mm, just love unconditional love you know I think we have a lot of the world is full of broken people, people that are you know uh, suffering, I think mostly from self love from self-hate even though they do not realize that. So mm-hmm. just love, you mm-hmm. know share mind, share what you have. unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Don't be judgmental. everybody has their own journey, everybody's going through something. Mm-hmm. Just make life easy for other people be more accommodative be more understanding mm.
1: yeah. Yeah. well this has been my most favorite human on the planet my home she doesn't think that she's a very good parent but when I reflect and I think back on it I have been incredibly blessed to have such a wonderful caring, funny, um, sometimes shy mother, so... Always shy. (laughs) You know, I think I learned, I I took a little bit of humility from her. It's where I come from. When someone compliments me and says, Oh, your dress is nice. I'm like, this little thing I bought for $5. (laughs) You know, it's something that my mom does. She, Mm -hmm. instead of accepting a compliment, finds a way to degrade that compliment so that it doesn't feel like a compliment, which is weird. But I'm, you know, grateful to have, by some stroke of this universe, been a part of her journey as her daughter. And, you know, it's been fun. It continues to be fun. We do have a lot of indifferences, days where we don't get along and we cannot see eye to eye. But I think the most important take home is that we are patient and we always find our way back <coughs> to each other and say, okay. I see where you're coming from, but this is where I'm coming from too. So can you try and see that instead of just your way, you know? It's like any other relationship. You have to work at it and we continuously work at our relationship. I'm constantly telling her to relax to, you know, just chill, to not be so stressed out and worried, my mom irons everything, she irons her beddings, and her socks if she could, and her vest, and I'm like, man, if I could live to be half the woman you are, because I'm like, can I, will the sun, I, I'm gonna go out like this, it looks like fashion, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to get the JWM family to meet a little bit of my mom. Um, I always reference her in the shows because I talk to her so much. So this is my mom and any final words, mom? You haven't said anything <laughs> in Sasuji. People think it's just Oh I am worse whoa mm. the whole time. <laughs> mm.
0: What do I say? Um, yeah, like I said guys, you know, peace, lots of love. I think we need it. We need each other. We need the love. Let's keep going.
1: Mm -hmm. All the best
0: for 2020 (laughs) Yes, all the best for 2020 We
1: love you guys Mm -hmm. very much And we are looking forward to seeing you guys Experience more prosperity Abundance, success Mm -hmm. Health um, Long life And everything that you've ever wanted May it come to manifest Both in this year And many, 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 many more years to come Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, this is it from us, JWM family. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And until next time, Maholokwe, ke'utaba Rbuile, Aloha.